You're listening to the RBN Energy Blogcast. This is an audio version of RBN's Daily Energy Blog, which is a fun and informative daily commentary on oil, gas, NGL, and renewable markets. Each morning, we cover commodity fundamentals and industry changes to keep you informed of developing trends across the energy landscape. Monday, December 4th, 2023. Love is a battlefield. U.S. push to decarbonize playing out very differently from state to state, published by Jason Lindquist. We've spent a lot of time this year looking at the global move to decarbonize and explaining why there isn't going to be a straight line leading directly to abundant carbon-free power and a net-zero world. That might be the way a lot of people would like to see it go, but that's not the reality we're now facing. All sorts of obstacles have popped up, indicating that the energy industry's trilemma of availability, reliability and affordability not only clash with each other on occasion, they can also conflict with economic and environmental priorities. Nowhere is that more evident than in the U.S., where small-scale battles over the clean energy transition are playing out all over the map. In today's RBN blog, we discuss highlights from our newly released drill-down report on the ways the nation's clean energy push is playing out at the state level. Although renewable sources of power generation are nothing new efforts to develop more low-carbon sources and reduce greenhouse gas, or GHG, emissions have been significantly boosted by two developments in recent years. Number one, On a global level, many countries have cited concerns about the long-term impacts of climate change as the justification for extremely ambitious aspirations to decarbonize the world economy and reach net-zero GHG emissions by 2050, a goal established by the 2015 Paris Climate Agreement. Number 2. In the U.S., energy policy shifted dramatically after President Biden took office in January 2021. A key element in Biden's 2020 campaign was a promise to reduce fossil fuel usage and GHG emissions and to promote the development of a clean energy industry as a way to reach net-zero goals. With a focus on the changes that need to happen in the short term to make any long-term goals viable, Biden set out some ambitious 2030 targets, at least 80% of U.S. power generated by renewable sources, a reduction in GHG emissions by 50-52% to from 2005, levels and a faster pace of electric vehicle, or EV, adoption so they make up at least 50% of new vehicle sales. More importantly, the Biden administration successfully steered the passage of two significant pieces of clean energy legislation, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, or IIJA, better known as the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, and the Inflation Reduction Act, or IRA. Among other things, the IIJA established billions of dollars in funding for a series of regional direct air capture, or DAC, and clean hydrogen hubs. The IRA, widely seen as a game-changer when it comes to incentives around clean energy, includes provisions on everything from methane emissions and EVs to carbon capture and sequestration, or CCS, and alternative fuels. The administration's targets and the enactment of the IIJA and IRA provide a 50,000-foot idealized view of what the transition to an economy with reduced reliance on fossil fuels could look like, but it's at the state level that the real changes will be felt. Nowhere is that more apparent than Hawaii, The focus of Section 2 in our new drill-down report, where an envisaged transition from fossil fuels for power generation has long been a priority for environmental and economic reasons. The state's boldest move so far may be the September 2022 retirement of Hawaii's last remaining coal-fired power plant, the 180-megawatt Barbers Point facility on Oahu. The plant had long been the biggest source of power for the island, meeting about 16% of peak electric demand. While coal plants have been closing across the U.S. over the past decade, largely due to low natural gas prices but also due to tightening environmental regulations, the situation in Hawaii is unique. 
According to the State Energy Office, the closure of Barbers Point represented the first time a state has retired a large coal unit without transitioning first to a bridge fuel such as natural gas. The Coppola Energy Storage, or KES, facility, a 185-megawatt battery storage project, was intended to help make up for the closure of the Barbers Point coal plant, enhance grid reliability and accelerate the integration of renewable energy. But while KES received approval from the Hawaii Public Utilities Commission in May 2021 and it was expected to be online by Q1 2023, construction has been delayed. In the meantime, the state has had to make do with an increased reliance on renewable and oil-fired power generation. It's also worth noting that while KES will have the capacity to harness large amounts of energy, there isn't enough being generated by renewable sources to fully charge the system. The project is supposed to get at least 75% of its power from renewables during its second through fifth years of operation, but Hawaiian Electric has said it won't meet that target for more than a decade and that renewables will be responsible for just 63% of charging over the facility's 20-year lifetime. Our report also looks at two other states, New York and Michigan, that have made removing coal from the fuel mix a priority. New York, the focus of Section 5, has already moved away from coal. The state's last coal-fired plant, near Lake Ontario, closed in 2020, and like Hawaii, New York's dependence on oil-fired power has dropped dramatically over the past two decades, down from 11% in 2000 to near zero today. Many natural gas plants in the state are dual-fuel facilities that can be powered by diesel in a pinch, largely because of the changes made to its fuel mix. With an assist from New York City's reliance on mass transit, New York had the lowest per capita energy-related CO2 emissions of any state in 2021. As detailed in Section 6 of the report, it's a similar story for Michigan. The state's power generation has historically been dominated by coal, although its share of power generation has dropped from more than 60% of the mix in 2001 to about 30% in 2022, but that stands to change according to some newly implemented policies. Thanks to recently passed legislation and previous agreements with DTE Energy and Consumers Energy, the primary power generators in the state, coal-fired generation is scheduled to disappear within a decade. But the pending elimination of coal-fired power comes with some concessions to the utilities and industry groups around the use of natural gas for power generation. The legislation enacted this year allows natural gas to be categorized as a clean energy source as long as 90% of the resulting emissions are addressed through CCS, which may partially account for the resiliency of natural gas in DTE's expected generation mix through 2042. It's also worth noting that both Michigan and New York face significant challenges in adding enough renewable sources of energy and related infrastructure, including transmission lines, quickly enough to meet their long-term clean energy goals. Another state extending its reliance on natural gas is California, Section 4, which has its own set of ambitious clean energy goals focused on renewables. One of the biggest challenges for California is likely to be how it handles its planned transition away from gas. Gas-fired generation is essential to meeting today's power needs but the state's climate and air quality laws essentially require the eventual elimination of gas consumption that does not include CCS. California is the nation's second-largest natural gas consumer, behind only Texas. This is all particularly problematic for a state that has been increasingly susceptible to droughts and wildfires over the last few years. Droughts reduce the availability of hydroelectric power and wildfires threaten electricity infrastructure, driving up consumer demand for power and causing reliability issues with the power grid, with rolling blackouts becoming more common. That led the State Water Resources Control Board, or SWRCB, to extend the deadline for eliminating seawater cooling at four gas-fired power plants along the California coast. The state had previously planned to halt seawater cooling in 2020, a policy adopted in 2010, 
but the board's action extended the compliance deadline for the 1,491 MW Ormond Beach, 1,137 MW Alamitos, and 226 MW Huntington Beach power plants to 2026, while pushing the deadline at the 326 MW Scattergood plant to 2029. For all the growth in renewable power generation over the past decade and more on the horizon, not to mention still emerging technologies centered on hydrogen, ammonia, e-fuels, renewable diesel, or RD, and sustainable aviation fuel, or SAF, it's important to note that robust growth in the clean energy sector is hardly a sure thing for a variety of reasons. In Texas, the focus of Section 5 of our report, the discussion starts with what might be a major hurdle in some states' politics. Texans remember all too well the chaos that came with winter storm Uri in February 2021. And even though Uri impacted the entire power grid and everything connected to it, many were quick to blame wind and solar power for much of the state's woes. Plenty of that criticism has centered on the intermittent nature of renewable energy and allegations that it is unreliable in severe weather, a real problem in a state with so much industrial demand that's reliant on uninterrupted supplies of power, along with the need for additional power generation from traditional baseload sources, like natural gas. The debate about grid reliability continued into Texas's most recent biennial legislative session, which ended May 29. That session featured a number of bills that addressed grid modernization and resiliency, with specific provisions to boost dispatchable power generation while adding new requirements that may prove challenging for some renewable generators. Many states have been persistent in their efforts to transition away from fossil fuels, but they have been stymied by the practicalities of energy markets, the real-world limitations on renewable energy and concerns about pricing and reliability. It's also important to note that the states attempting to make the biggest changes are also planning to carry them out in the shortest amount of time, requiring a pace much faster than states have typically added conventional resources. Although the situation in each state included in our report is different, they each serve as an example of the need to consider the real-world impacts, secondary consequences, and long-term risks of various energy policies. Love is a Battlefield was written by Holly Knight and Mike Chapman and appears as the fourth song on side two of Pat Benatar's first live album, Live from Earth. It is one of two studio recordings that are on the album, both produced by Benatar's guitarist and future husband, Neil Giraldo, with Peter Coleman at MCA slash Whitney Studios in Glendale, California. Released as a single in September 1983, it went to number one on the Billboard Mainstream Rock and number four on the Billboard Hot 100 Singles Charts. It has been certified gold by the Recording Industry Association of America, RIA. The video for the song features one of the funniest choreographed dance scenes outside of Billy Squire's video for Rock Me Tonight. It also was one of the first music videos to feature outside dialogue in it, which was quickly followed in December 1983 by the Michael Jackson thriller video-slash-mini-movie, directed by Animal House director John Landis. In a case of six degrees of separation, dialogue appears again in the April 1984 music video for Twisted Sisters' We're Not Gonna Take It, which features dialogue from actor Mark Metcalf reinterpreting his Niedermeyer character from Animal House. Benatar's video was nominated for an MTV Video Music Award and the song won her Grammy Award for Best Female Rock Vocal Performance. Personnel on the record were, Pat Benatar, vocals, Neil Giraldo, guitar, sequencing, drum programs, Charlie Giordano, keyboards, Roger Capps, bass, and Myron Grumbacher, drums. Live from Earth was recorded in 1982-83 on Benatar's Get Nervous Tour in France and California, and produced by Neil Giraldo. Released in October 1983, the album went to number one on the Billboard Rock and number 13 on the Billboard 200 Albums Charts, and has been certified platinum by the RIA. Two singles were released from the LP. Pat Benatar is an American rock singer and songwriter. 
she signed to Chrysalis Records in 1978 and released her debut album, In the Heat of the Night, in August 1979. She has released 11 studio albums, 12 live albums, 27 compilation albums, and 40 singles. She has sold more than 35 million records worldwide. She has won three American Music Awards, four Grammy Awards, and was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in November 2022. She still records and tours with her husband, Neil Geraldo. Thanks for listening to the RBN Daily Energy Blogcast. For more information on energy market reports, maps, and consulting engagements, please visit us at rbnenergy.com. And thanks for rocking with us.